This episode of the American Birding Podcast is sponsored by the Grays Harbor Shorebird Festival, held May 3rd through 5th, 2019 in Hoquiam, Washington. Come celebrate the spring shorebird migration with the Grays Harbor Audubon Society at one of the great Pacific Flyway stopover spots. See hundreds of thousands of plovers, turnstones, sandpipers, dowitchers, and more as they rest and feed around Hoquiam and the Grays Harbor National Wildlife Refuge. It is a real spectacle and an amazing natural phenomenon. It's not just about the birds. Birding Without Borders author Noah Stricker is the keynote speaker this year. For more information, go to shorebirdfestival.com or call 360-560-8162. Hello and welcome to another episode of the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I'm Nate Swick and I am a sucker for articles about birding in large news publications or, or media outlets. If you are a regular listener to this podcast, you probably know that by now. They are catnip to me, and as an unofficial historian of this genre, I am particularly interested in the fact that these articles and essays continue to get more earnest, more sincere, more feeling as though they come from birders that I know and interact with regularly. They're created internally by people from inside our community, written to an audience who doesn't quite get it maybe, but at least is uh, pretty good sports about it, rather than the sort of birders flock hardy hard look at these nerds chasing a rare bird outsiders written for outsiders sort of thing uh there was one that was kicking around on the birdosphere about birding and anxiety which is a, a kind of a neat thing to see i know that there have been a lot of studies recently about how time spent outdoors is beneficial to your mental health and i know a lot of us in the birding world can certainly attest to the benefits of some regular binocular time i probably spend an unhealthy amount of time on, on social media as a result of my ABA responsibilities. And I know that it's always great to unplug for a little. Uh, my brain works better and I, I tend to come up with better ideas. Uh, you, you know that old adage that people come up with their best ideas in the shower? There's actually some research that says that, you know, those sorts of creative epiphanies are more likely when you're on a quote-unquote autopilot. And, and birding is, well, while not entirely autopilot, is, is sort of like that, at least for me, and at least in my regular spots near home, uh, you know, at least the wandering down the trail and letting the sounds kind of wash over you until you pick up on something different part. Uh, there was also an essay in the LA Times about Zugenrua, you know, migratory anxiety, which is, in addition to being about birds, is also an introduction to a really cool science word and phenomenon. Um, there was a big spread in the New York Times about a bird-watching-themed board game. And as an aside, I am actually working on scheduling a time to talk to the creator of said board game on the podcast, so you can look forward to that. Uh, there's also a new bird-watching web series that launched last week on the Topic website uh, featuring Jason Ward, who is a friend of the ABA and a, a bit of a SciComm Twitter star, and um, I'm working on getting him in the near future as well. I didn't intend for this to be a preview of coming attractions when I started it, but it sort of turned out that way. All of this is a way to kind of relate my continued astonishment that birding is a thing now, and that I'm sort of excited about that, but I will never not be a little confused about that. Uh, by the way, Jason, if you're listening, uh, this is a topic I'm going to bring up to you when we talk next month, so, you know, you can be prepared. Uh, links to all these things will be in the show notes. On the show today, John Myers of Conservation International is here to talk to me about Colombia and the ways that that country has embraced birding as an engine for economic development and 
has built a strong birding culture on the side. All that after this week's Redbirds. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the first part of March 2019. We are all waiting, waiting, waiting for spring to arrive. Every year seems to take forever. Despite reports of various early migrants taking their places across the southern part of the ABA area, Other than that, there was not much in the way of new continental-level rarities during the period, though a number of ABA-area vagrants are still hanging around, some for a remarkably long period of time. For instance, the ABA's first record of long-legged buzzard, first discovered late last fall, has overwintered on St. Paul Island and the Bering Sea, Alaska. There are few places in the ABA area that it's harder to overwinter, I would imagine, Uh, to the point that birders are starting to consider the possibility that the bird will stick around when the birding season really begins in a few weeks and people start arriving in St. Paul. Uh, They're always coming there to look for those Asian vagrants. Looks like one will be already ready for them as soon as they get off the plane. A gargany in Yolo County, California was definitely among the better finds of the month, especially as it was a stunning adult male. I often wonder how many young birds and females of this species get overlooked. They're very similar to our, uh, our teal. In first records, Arkansas had an Allens hummingbird visiting a feeder in Sharp County, which represents a state first. Allens is one of the least regular western hummingbirds east of the Great Plains, but part of that may be due to the fact that it's so difficult to differentiate from Rufus hummingbird, which is the most common wintering hummingbird in the east. In any case, good photos always help, and birders got them with regard to this bird. Georgia had a nice two-bird combo in the form of the state's eighth common red pole in Gwinnett and the state's second record of lazuli bunting near Albany. There's a couple of vagrant birds coming from different directions. And in Maryland, that state's third record of rock wren was seen in St. Mary's. That bird had been present all winter but was only recently made public. Even so, many birders got to see it. This is just a little bit of the rarity landscape for the first part of March. If you would like to see all the records, check out the ABA blog every Friday. Join the ABA's Rare Bird Alert Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash ABA Rare. You can also find us on Twitter at ABA Bird Alert. Birders know the South American nation of Colombia as the most bird-rich country on the planet, but Colombia's reputation among the general public is unfortunately somewhat more mixed. That is something that the Colombian government and nonprofits who work there are trying to fix, as Colombia is heavily playing up its bona fides as a travel destination, and luckily for nature lovers, birding is a huge part of that strategy. My guest is John Myers of Conservation International. He has been working in Latin America for several years, and specifically with Colombia more recently, um, helping to advise ecotourism initiatives and promote conservation there. Uh, welcome, John. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much, Nate. It's great to be here. And, and I'm, I'm always thrilled to be talking about Colombia, its potential as an ecotourism and, and birding destination yeah. and powerhouse yeah. and, and all of the potential that, uh, that it has. Oh, totally. It, it must be really gratifying to you to see so many Latin American countries looking to their biodiversity as a, you know, an economic development opportunity in the last couple of decades. What do you think is, has really prompted all of this? Well, I think in Colombia, in particular, it was the it was the peace agreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've I've lived and in, in, in worked in in Latin America doing conservation for you know almost all of my professional life, and and I've always and I've also been a uh, you know I'm also a birder and someone who loves uh, birds and getting into the field. And I think Colombia has always been on people's radar. It's the you know as you mentioned in the intro, it's the, it's the birdiest country on on earth, but I think for a long time, and it's, and, and it had the benefit of having, you know, uh, Hilti and Brown's excellent right. guide, you know, Steve wrote after he was a Peace Corps volunteer in Colombia. So I think it's always been on people's radar as kind of a Shangri-La 
destination, but but for for a number of reasons, uh, many of which have to do with you know the protracted civil conflict that people just didn't want to come or they were mm-hmm. scared. Uh, and, that, and you know, I think that there are some uh, you know a lot of a lot of uh, questions that people have, and I'm happy to you know discuss some of those on our on our show today. So how does how does development for ecotourism promote conservation in the in the first place? Yeah, so I think it, it really begins with the idea that a theory of change for a conservation project thinks about birding or thinks about ecotourism as a tool for economic development, for conservation, and for kind of engagement with civil society, with government, with the private sector, with communities. And it sort of builds that into the design from the beginning. I think that that's really kind of where you need to start. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of places that like to tout themselves as ecotourism destinations or a lot of a lot of products. It's pretty easy to tell uh, which ones are serious and which ones are not when you start to get into the details a little. You've been you've been heavily involved in these uh, these birding trails in Colombia and different parts of the country. Um, how how do these work and, and sort of what has been the strategy for for developing them? Well, you know, the, the, the idea for the Northern Columbia Birding Trail, which was the first birding trail in Columbia, that really came, uh, that's kind of like, you know, a classic innovation story. I was at National Audubon at the time and had been, and was really excited to get to work in Columbia. We were, we were still a couple of years before the peace agreement, but I could, I could see all of this starting to build. And, you know, I w- I've been kind of obsessed with Columbia my whole life and have been coming down here and traveling and living and working and studying uh, for a long time and was excited about this opportunity that the country was going to have. And I started to learn about the birding trails in the United States, specifically the trail in, in Washington State, the Great Washington State Birding Trail, the Florida Birding Trail, the Texas Coastal Birding Trail. And I started studying these and... There was an opportunity to work with USAID on a project focused on protecting the tropical dry forest, which is one of the most endangered ecoregions in the tropics. And that's in the, that's in the northern part of Colombia. That's correct. That's correct. I mean, there's tropical dry forest in the tropics in a number of places, but uh, the, the the largest remnant in Colombia is in is in northern Colombia. That's correct, as you were saying. So it just it just sort of dawned on me in the middle of the night that we could do a northern Colombia birding trail and combine, you know, dry forest spots in the Guajita Peninsula and in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada with, you know, places like the San Lorenzo Ridge where that have, uh, you know, just off the chart endemism, uh, as well as, you know, the places like Pediha and the northernmost extension of the Andes. And that with, you know, a bit of, uh, of some thoughtful design and consulting people like uh, Alvaro Jaramillo, who really helped us with the design of the trail, that we could combine some great habitats, put some attention on the birds, and work with the communities to develop the skills, the knowledge, the know-how to take advantage of birds and kind of adopt this this theory of change that says, you know, if local people benefit from, from birds and bird watching, then they will have an incentive to protect uh, and conserve their their habitat. Yeah, totally. You know, this certainly sort of feels like a like a, almost like a top down strategy, which obviously has its you know advantages because you're getting buy in from the beginning from people who have the power to protect a lot of these places. Do you find that there's a lot of interest among sort of local government officials in these in these places, or do they mostly see this as sort of an economic thing? 
Now, I guess not that it really matters if the result is the same. <laughs> I'd say that, you know what, that's a great question. I'd say the biggest challenge has been working with decision makers to help them understand the potential of birding as a, as a tool for conservation and economic development, first and foremost. But secondly, to understand that that is going to require digging in and understanding uh, and learning about the market, learning about the habitat, learning about the, uh, the species, learning about the value chain and what sort of needs to be done to develop a good product with trained uh, guides and service providers that are helping, you know, conserve the biodiversity and thinking about uh, sort of how to use these resources intelligently. You know, I think that once the, at the, at the beginning, uh, you know, one of the things that's difficult with being a pioneer or, or, or an innovator sort of is that at the beginning, people think you're, you're, you're crazy and don't believe you. And <laughs> You know, they all want to kind of take credit for your yeah. your, your your ideas. Right at the point, it becomes self evident. Yeah, <laughs> but but it's been uh, so. You know, I'd say now, you know, it's it's a well known fact in Colombia that Colombia is the country with the most birds. Yeah, and that Colombia is well. You know, the post conflict Colombia is is positioned as one of the be- world's best birding destinations. Yeah, and uh, I think that people are are. Uh, politicians especially are happy to puff their chest out and, and, and show off. But I think if you, you know, few and far between are the ones that really have dug in and engaged uh, to the point where they can name, you know, an endemic species in their, in their department. On the other hand, it's also been very heartening to see uh, the birding movement take hold primarily among young people, yeah. I would say, in yeah. Colombia. The effect that that's had on other people, uh, on businesses, on parts of the government, uh, is is really exciting. And I think that it's really the tip of the iceberg. And I think that birding has helped Colombia understand its fantastic potential in uh, ecotourism, nature, you know, nature-based tourism, cultural tourism, all sorts of different things that can help the country. Yeah. You know, one of the benefits, obviously, is once you have all these sort of opportunities in place is that you turn into this sort of organic naturalist community once people can see that you can, you know, support your family by doing this. This is like a legitimate way of, of making a living and um, then that sort of t- in turn becomes you know a great passion for the the outdoors in that area so you're kind of building this this I mean, conservation movement i guess I don't, maybe that's not too much to say kind of from the ground up are you seeing that on top of this nature infrastructure that you've worked to establish absolutely i'd say that's probably one of the most exciting things a, f- a few things have helped contribute to that. Uh, uh, the first, I'd say, is that you know we 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 obviously the Northern Columbia Burning Trail and the and the and the attention that that got, but also you know we did a we did a uh, an economic uh, analysis and published a peer-reviewed study called La Paz es mucho más que palomas, or doves are about much more than peace. Hmm. Uh, the translation <laughs> <That's clever. laughs> of that, and that was you know and, and that showed the point of that study was to show the economic value of bird watching to the country. And it was based on extensive surveys of Audubon members. And it was it used the rigorous methodology of a contingent valuation methodology that economists did all the modeling for. And we were able to show you know, the size of the birding market, the willingness to pay, and really break down the various attributes about what people liked and were curious about Colombia, and then also other things that gave them concern. And we were able to use that information to you were actually there uh nathan at the moment that this mm-hmm. happened i remember this, that yeah this happened the, you know the, the the ministry of of commerce industry and tourism built the national strategy 
based on that study and based on the success of the pilot project uh, and posited the goal of Columbia being the world's number one birding destination. Yeah, it was. I, yeah, I remember that. It was a couple of years ago, that right when this podcast started. I think I actually talked a little bit about it in one of the very first episodes. And yeah, I mean, it, it, it was really inspiring to see the government officials, the people who are decision makers, sort of really throwing themselves behind this idea that birding means economic development, birding means conservation, and these, you know, Birds, which feel sometimes like a, a, I don't want to say a frivolous avocation, but not a, not necessarily super important, are, are such a, a huge part of the the plan for these parts of of Colombia. It was it was really an inspiring thing. Absolutely, it was, it was it was you know it's one of the things that I'm probably the most proud of. And the other you know the other thing that really contributed to you know this process that you're talking about, I'd say, is the, the efforts in Colombia to organize around the global big day and the success yeah. that Colombia was able to have finally in the third and fourth years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to, you know, I, I think it's kind of a silly concept to say that any place wins the global big day, but to, to, to register the most species. Yeah, uh, was a really big deal, and that helped engage a lot of people. And I would say that that was kind of the that was sort of the the birding revolution. I would say is was was the third global big day. And I, I, I remember the moment very clearly in my mind during the during the third Columbia bird fair. And that you know there's there were several kind of really important events that happened. I would say that you know the birding trail, the study. The replication of the of the trails in other parts, you know, using financing from the Colombian government, but the you know the Colombia Bird Fair, the first one that was started in in Cali by Carlos Mario Wagner and, and Chris Calonge, and then the success of the of kind of the big day global big day movement. And I remember the moment at the at the third Colombia Bird Fair when Diego Calderon took the stage and he said, you know, hey guys, you know. There's this thing called the Global Big Day. We participated the first two years. This year we're going to win, and this is how we're going to do it. And I just remember that moment very much being kind of like the you know the Simone Bolivar moment <laughs> revolution. I remember I remember the eBird folks. Uh, they, they sent out this is one of one of their newsletters where they they said something like people were sitting around their computers watching the results come in like it was a, a World Cup game like and they were yeah, competing absolutely. against Ecuador and Brazil. Absolutely, it was and it was a great thing to take part in and and it's and it's you know the the, the thing that makes me the most happy is just to watch how the number of checklists submitted has grown exponentially. You know, I mean in the first in the first few years it was a lot of species from very few checklists and then as we've you know gotten more sophisticated and more organized, uh, there's been a, a, a great increase in, in the number of of checklists submitted and that's really indicative of the growing community of birders here, many of whom are young. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, especially since you know, that's got to mean that's not, those aren't checklists coming from visitors from North America or Europe. Those are checklists submitted by Colombian birders who are birding because they, they love it. That's right. And that's very much the game changer. You know, yeah. I mean, I think that initially birding was looked at as this thing that uh, individuals entering their golden years from other countries would come to participate in and leave. And, and that's not the case anymore. You know, there's a there's a there's a huge base of birders and people that are interested in birding. And I think, you know, the the, the next big kind of contribution, I would say, or the next big part of the movement has been, you know, the film that just came out called right. Birder. Exactly. Love a link to that. Yeah. Very indicative, very representative of, of kind of the movement and, you know, where it's come from and, and where it's going. 
Yeah, I, I want to jump back. You've, you've mentioned the uh, the peace agreement a few times. It's got to be somewhat related. You know, that peace agreement was driven a lot by young people in Colombia who were, you know, tired of the the old way of doing things, this ongoing civil war that was happening in Colombia for, for decades. You've mentioned sort of obliquely, you know, the influence that it had, but, but what, what has that meant for uh, people in Colombia and conservation in Colombia? Well, it's, it's, I would say that it's meant a lot and that it has, you know, first and foremost, it's meant a drastic reduction in violence. Yeah. Uh, and because of the, you know, the, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a deep and complicated history here. And, you know, when you speak with people and you learn about their experiences, you know, it's easy to understand why this is, you know, a deeply polarizing subject. But I think that, you know, what, what you can, what you can say without a doubt is that the peace agreement has drastically reduced violence. It has led, it has directly contributed to the tourism boom and it incentivizes conservation because, you know, I think that the, 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 the one of the big benefits at least for the, for the kind of the birding movement is that it literally creates demand for conservation because people start to learn about birds, learn about you know what's special about them, why people want to see them, and what is required uh, to be able to continue to see them in in the future. But I would say you know the the, the peace agreement had everything to do with that, and it's continued implementation and to the extent to which it's taken seriously by the government will continue to be critical. Implementing a peace agreement is a lot mm -hmm. harder than signing a peace agreement. Right, right. And, and you know, there's a, there's, there's, there's a lot of experience, uh, a lot of experiences in, in Central America and South America and Africa of, of peace agreements and what's happened in their aftermath and all the complicated mm -hmm. uh, matters having to do with, you know, the implementation and the uptake of the agreement into society and, yeah. and how it affects people on a daily basis and how it affects their interactions with other people yeah and it's, it's also going to mean that like now birders can go places that they weren't able to go before i, I remember talking to our colombian guide when i was there and, and asking him about it because this was not long after the the agreement was was voted on was signed and he said he was super excited about being able to go birding in some parts of the country that you know for a long time were inaccessible because they were t too dangerous to go to but now you can go in you can explore these places you can find birds that people thought were extinct in some cases yeah exactly it's, it's really exciting time and, and you know i think that uh you know, more and more areas continue to open up. I mean, when we designed the Northern Columbia Verdict Trail, uh, the Pediha region was one that we had to go and kind of scour and make sure that it made sense to include it because, you know, just a few, just a couple of years before, that was that was a do not go mm -hmm. area. And, uh, you know, we, we went, we visited, we brought the Audubon magazine with us. Martha Harbison wrote a fantastic article in Audubon uh, that was published, I think, in, in uh, maybe the February issue. It was called... I think it was called uh, Behind the, the Coca Curtain or something like that. It was a great, fantastic article about, you know, the trip that we took to the Serrania del Pediha to to suss out, you know, the, fe the, the feasibility of including it in the Northern Peninsula. Places like Costa Rica, for instance, have you know been doing this ecotourism stuff for decades, and, and some nations are sort of coming to it a little bit later in the game. Um, but it does seem like you can kind of learn from what has worked elsewhere and, and get up to speed faster that way. In your experience... What has this ecotourism industry in Colombia learned from other Latin American birding destinations? Well, I think that it's. I think that what it's what it's learning mm -hmm. is that it's certainly fantastic 
the Columbia is very blessed with its mega diversity. Yeah. You know, it's, it's considered the second most biologically diverse country in the world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, certainly it's the country that has the most birds. And that's obviously a great starting point. Uh, there's a long road uh, between, you know, simply being the country with the most species to being a, 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 a good ecotourism destination that's able to harness uh, the market forces for good and to turn that into conservation. That's not easy, but I think that it's been it's, it's been where, where it's a huge opportunity in Colombia, I think, is the, the development of the rural areas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, 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 the reason for the conflict in a nutshell in Colombia is that the government has never been able to govern the entire territory. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people that are in the rural areas that were doing sort of the de facto governance or that were looked at to as sort of the local authorities were not necessarily government entities, right? Mm-hmm. So right, yeah. One of the things that I think where, where, where Colombia has really been able to kind of run with this idea, ecotourism, nature-based tourism, is that, you know, hey, this is really a great strategy for our rural areas and is a viable economic alternative to the production of illicit crops, and that investment in rural livelihoods is a better investment than, you know, traditional war on drugs strategies like spraying herbicides out of airplanes. <laughs> right. Unfortunately, yeah. that whole debate has just kicked up again. Right? It's kind of like a zombie that continues to come back to yeah. life. But I think, you know, with the history of the last experience of the last couple of years is showing that you know, this makes a huge difference for people living in rural communities to be able to work as guides, drivers, yeah. work in lodges, uh, work in restaurants, work, uh, develop, you know, develop small businesses that, that, mm-hmm. that develop products that cater to this market and are, are able to help improve people's lives. I think that's kind of the name of the game. Yeah. What are some of the, the exciting birding and conservation projects going on in Colombia right now that you're working on? Sure. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really lucky. I work for Conservation International and I, I live in, in Santa Marta. I work on kind of a, a portfolio of conservation projects that have to do with sustainable tourism, uh, eliminating single use plastics, working mm-hmm. with indigenous uh, communities on carbon neutrality projects, uh, working with uh, media and governments and sort of innovative ways to do conservation I'm I'm hopeful that we're going to be able to replicate, continue to replicate these birding trails. You know, Audubon mm-hmm. has been a real leader. Calidris has been a real leader in continuing to develop these trails. You know, it was a huge moment at the South American Bird Fest to to inaugurate the Central Andes Trail that you know the Audubon Society took the leadership of and, and implemented, working closely with the government. You know, and I think that that was one of the I think that was really a watershed moment in the in the country when you know I think for a lot of us that work in conservation internationally you know a lot of a lot of the the donor funds come uh, externally mm-hmm. and in this case you know the success was was so convincing and so important that I think that that Colombia itself saw wow this is a great investment and one that we need to make for ourselves so that you know the the the, the financing arm of the of the second birding trail was Colombia's national tourism fund. And, you know, that's really incredible. And that's, you know, there's new trail being built in the eastern Andes. There's a, there's a, there's a trail underway in the southwestern Andes. We, are, we, have, we have secured resources to develop a, a trail in Putumayo, which is really exciting. You know, I think that that's probably, you know, that's maybe the most exciting birding area in the whole country. Where in, where in the also, country is it? Putumayo is in the, is in the south of the country. Okay. Uh, one of 
If you're looking at a map of Colombia, you know one of the one of the many inter- interesting, fascinating kind of characteristics of the country is that when the Andes come up out of Ecuador, they split into three chains. Yeah, uh, and that area is called the uh, the Macizo uh, Colombiano, and within a relatively small area, you have uh, you have the Choco in the Pacific Forest, yeah. the Andes and the Amazon, and they're all kind of right there. Yeah, and all those all those mountain ranges have like their own suite of endemic species, and uh, it's it's crazy. Like that's exactly. super diverse. Which <laughs> yeah. slope of, of which of the which yeah. of the chains you're on, you know, you've got different species and endemics, and it's and it's and it's fascinating. So anyway, Putumayo is is uh, sort of the heart yeah. of that area. It's very cool, and is uh, and is a place that for years was was not considered. A viable uh, destination just because of you know basic uh, infrastructure and the nature of the conflict. But that mm-hmm. has, has changed. There's a, there's a couple of great lodges down there. There's there's phenomenal guides like uh, Brian uh, Jaramillo, and it's a it's a real it's a real potential bright spot for the country. Oh, that's very cool. I, I know that uh, those people who have signed up for the ABA trip that's going uh, this summer, they've got a lot to look forward to. I think. <laughs> Yeah, so I think that that's great. You know, that's one thing that I wanted to say was that you know I'm 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 thrilled that the ABA is hosting its event in in Colombia this summer, and that I think that you know it's a great opportunity to come to to experience Colombia, the birds, uh, the people, the guides, to see all of this kind of uh, happening in, in, in real time and, and, and hopefully to take a pre or a post trip and to, and to see some of the other areas. Absolutely. John Myers is with Conservation International. He specializes in ecotourism and conservation strategies in Colombia. Thanks so much for making time for me, John. Thank you so much, Nate. And, and uh, hope to see folks when they come down in July. Absolutely. Spring is on its way, and with it are a bunch of festivals and events on the birding calendar. Naturally, the ABA will have a presence at a few of them, and we love it when members and birders stop by to say hello. So this is where you can do that. We will be at the biggest week in American birding once again. That festival runs May 3rd through the 12th at Black Swamp Bird Observatory near Toledo, Ohio. And we'll be making a big to-do for our 50th anniversary. President Jeff Gordon is giving a presentation on sharing the gospel of birding that first Sunday, May 5th. And after that will be a little happy hour. We would love to see you there. I will be helping out on a few field trips and giving an eBird workshop, so you might see me there as well. Also, Liz, Kelly, and John will be around taking part in all of the various birding activities that go on with The Biggest Week. I am also giving a keynote address and an eBird workshop at the Bluegrass Birding Festival in Lexington, Kentucky. That is May 10th through the 12th. So if you are in that area and you are not tired of listening to me talk on this podcast, you can check that out. Ted Floyd is speaking at a number of events in Colorado in conjunction with his new book, How to Know the Birds, including the Denver Field Ornithologists on March 26th, the University of Denver on April 25th, and the Boulder Bookstore on May 14th. Seriously, he is all over the place in Colorado this spring and summer. You probably will not be able to miss him. We also have a number of ABA events on the schedule. Coming on an ABA event is a great way to have a great birding experience. Meet ABA staff and support the ABA's mission. The West Virginia Adult Bird Camp is May 23rd through the 28th. We often get asked, will you ever do any of your great bird camps for adults? Well, 
this is the opportunity. We're going to be in West Virginia. We're going to see a ton of warblers. It's going to be a great time. We are also planning on heading to Columbia. If you want to go a little farther afield, uh, maybe this episode might have encouraged you to join us there. That is from July 20th through the 29th. We have some other events farther out. You can learn all about them at aba.org slash travel. There are also spots available in our Young Birder Camps. That's Camp Colorado and Camp Avocet this summer. We have scholarships available for those. They are an amazing experience for young birders. Take it from me, a former young birder. It's been some time since I was involved in a young birder camp, but uh, I still remember it fondly. You can learn more about those at aba.org slash youngbirders. And for those of you closer to our offices in Delaware, we're going to be doing some free events, including our popular monthly heron watches and sunset cruises to nearby Peapatch Island. So keep an eye on our website for information on that. So please come and join us in 2019. We can't wait to run into you. The American Birding Podcast is a product of the American Birding Association. We are a membership organization, as you have heard me say many times before. And if you enjoy this podcast, the best way to help support it is to join the ABA. You'll be helping to support many of the free resources that the ABA provides to the birding community. You also get some magazines. It's part of the deal. It's not a bad deal. You can even get an e-membership if you would prefer to get those publications on the web instead of in the mail. You can get more information about all of that at aba.org slash join or aba.org slash e-member. Special shout out to Nancy Archer of Henrico, Virginia, Shelley Harms of Norfolk, Connecticut, Diane Highbaugh of Selma, California, Scott Stafford of Washington, D.C., Ian Carlson of Portland, Maine, and Frank Fabro of Edina, Minnesota, all of whom joined or rejoined the ABA recently and noted this podcast as a reason. Thank you so much for that. Welcome to the ABA or welcome back. If you're feeling really generous, you can head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating or review. We'd love to hear from you. Your feedback helps make the show better, and it also helps others find us. Thank you for that. Executive producer of the podcast and president of the ABA is Jeffrey Gordon. In honor of March Madness, he has been combing the bracket, looking for the most accurate bird mascot. And while several teams have made the shortlist, he cannot abide by the University of Louisville's Cardinal, which has teeth for some reason. Technical production is by John Lowry. While he generally picks a bird-rich bracket, he always picks Kansas to lose in the first round because no one knows what the heck a Jayhawk is. It's not a Jay, nor is it a Hawk, and it's wearing shoes. Come on, KU. Additional help comes from Greg Neitz and David Hartley. Both note their satisfaction that the Marquette University Golden Eagles are not only the only mascot in the field boasting the full name of a North American bird, but that the mascot's legs are feathered all the way to the tops of the feet. That is some impressive ornithological accuracy. You can find us online at aba.org, on Facebook at facebook.com birders, and on Twitter at ABA. We are filling out our brackets purely based on which college has the better ornithology program. So congrats to Louisiana State University. You're just lucky Cornell didn't make the field. Questions and comments come to me at podcast at aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Till next time. <laughs>